0: And welcome to episode 13 of Radicals in Conversation, a podcast from Pluto Press, one of the world's leading independent radical publishers. There are over 11 million private renters in the UK, accounting for 20% of all households. For many, life as a tenant is precarious, unsafe, and increasingly expensive. Londoners alone face some of the highest rents in Europe, beholden to a housing market stacked in favour of landlords and investors. But communities and campaigners are fighting back against the many injustices within the housing sector, from social cleansing and gentrification to deregulation and no-fault evictions. I'm Chris Brown, and joining me today are two guests who are both deeply involved in organising to tackle the housing crisis. Katya Nassim, a founding member of the London Renters' Union, and Becca Hudson, coordinator at the Radical Housing Network. So thanks to you both for coming on the show. Uh, It's really good to have you here. So a couple of years ago, uh, Pluto published a book called The Rent Trap by Rosie Walker and Samir Giraj, and it was all about private renting in the UK. I remember before publication, when we were presenting the book to our team of European sales reps, the rep that covered Germany was completely baffled by it, by the very sort of idea of a rent trap. Uh, Because in Germany, where she lived, private renters often seem to have tenancy agreements which enshrine the sort of indefinite right to remain of the tenant, assuming that they've not broken the terms of their contract, that kind of thing. As I understand it, there's a number of other European countries with similar sort of tenants' rights, so clearly the situation in the UK, and perhaps here in London especially, is very problematic. But what are the various factors that make the experience of renting in the UK so bad?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, first off, you're absolutely right. Things are much better in Germany. I mean, you've talked a bit about the kind of the better conditions that exist for renters. I think the key difference between Germany and the UK is that it's actually not so easy to make a profit from owning a property in Germany as it is in the UK. So many people don't buy a home and the conditions of renting are both sufficiently good and long term tenancies, kind of rents that are capped, as well as that there's not an incentive to kind of make a profit from owning a home um however in the uk you have the situation where three or four kind of key factors i think that have played in played into this which is kind of the sell off of council housing in the 80s which kind of decimated the social housing stock things like buy-to-let, which um, essentially made it... It was a special type of mortgage that you could buy specifically to rent out your property. Things like the financial crash, where people invested in London property. And they've all contributed to kind of rising prices and the possibility of making a profit from property. And also the key thing there is also the fact that um, renters have hardly any rights in the UK. They were scrapped essentially in the 1988. And there's not enough affordable housing. So on the one hand, you have... um, Property that's too expensive for people to buy. Like, home ownership is just out of reach for many people across the UK and certainly in London. There's also not enough council housing. So you have this big group of people in the middle who can't afford to buy and who can't access council housing. And so they're stuck renting and landlords are just they're making a profit for people stuck in that situation. And actually, you know, you rent a property in this country. And as you said, most people have tenancy agreements of one year. They can then be subject to a Section 21 notice at the whim of the landlord. Um, it's really difficult to um, address kind of bad conditions in your property. Essentially, renters don't have any power. You actually have better consumer rights if you're buying a fridge. So,
0: You mentioned Section 21, just for people that might not know what that is.
1: Um, so Section 21 is essentially a no-fault eviction notice. A landlord can issue a Section 21 notice um, at the end of a tenancy agreement. So a lot of people, they sign a tenancy agreement and then they're on a kind of rolling contract with their landlord. And then the landlord can issue a Section 21 at any time, which gives a tenant two months to vacate the property. And they don't have to give a reason. London Renters Union, uh, part of a new campaign to end Section 21 alongside Generation Rent ACORN uh, which is a community union and new economics foundation and essentially we're calling for section 21 to be scrapped we've had massive support for the campaign 50,000 people have signed a petition calling for an end to section 21 um, which we delivered at parliament the other day we've got actions coming up through the autumn around uh, calling for an end to section 21 as well so yeah encourage people to give their support to that campaign as well. I can talk a little bit more about London Renters Union itself, but many of our members have faced Section 21 notices and this issue is kind of widespread in London. Section 21, I think, is the single biggest cause of, well, I think about 90% of evictions are Section 21 evictions in London.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you say about that because I think there was, what is it, the English Housing Survey was published fairly recently. Young people especially, it seems like renting is now, private renting, I should say, is like the largest, um, most common form of tenure amongst them. Like, I think it was about half of uh, 25 to 34-year-olds renting privately uh, in London. And that's out of two and a half million private renters.
2: And it's growing, right? Like, particularly, I mean... We're, the Radical Housing Network is a, is a London-based network um, of housing groups and campaigns. And I think you see it most acutely in London, but it's also a kind of developing problem elsewhere, which is that private renting as the most common form of tenure is just an expanding problem. Um, and as Katia said, that's because other housing options are being made less and less available. So council housing is not only not being built, it's being destroyed um, and sold off. And... houses to buy are just becoming increasingly kind of absurd prices which people can't afford not to mention the fact that you know even if wages were going up people wouldn't be able to afford them but they're not so the conditions of living are really awful so you see the kind of huge proportion of people being pushed into the private rental sector from other forms of housing tenure and then the conditions in that sector being totally abominable uh, and people kind of falling into this really untenable and exploitative housing tenure that they're then not able to get out of. And you see a lot within London, at least, people having to leave the city because once they're moved out of a council home or, I mean, even housing co-ops, some of which are being are being destroyed and sold off, it means that people know they're entering a sector where they cannot afford to live in it. And so it's much easier for them to just leave. And that means they may be leaving their families, their homes, their communities as well. Mm.
0: The Radical Housing Network is made up of, is it about
2: 30 groups or something? Just over 30, yeah, depending on kind of who's active and who's inactive. So we're a cross-tenure housing network with, yeah, about 30 to 35 members. um, And those are people living in all kind of different housing situations. Some of our members are national campaigns. Some of them are local groups. We have students. We have private renters who are members. We also have estate campaigns, housing co-ops, boaters. Uh, So, yeah, anybody experience any kind of housing stress uh, in a group can become a member of the Radical Housing Network. And that's an interesting kind of perspective for organising because you're able to see the way in which, even though the housing market in this country is carved up into these different types of tenure, and each of them is seen to have their own kind of internal problems, you see the way in which they are affecting one another. Um, And so when a council estate in South London is being demolished, the way that that will have knock-on effects for private renters in the area or rough sleepers in the area or, you know, other people on the housing waiting list. All of these things are kind of connected. So organising together helps us to kind of make those connections and think about the way in which housing as a whole is kind of being managed in this country.
1: Just to come come off of what Becca's just said, I think like something that really illustrates that is the growth of temporary or emergency accommodation. So someone might be made homeless through a section twenty-one notice or be finding it difficult in the first place to actually access private rental housing and, you know, be placed in temporary or emergency accommodation and actually for a council, it's actually very expensive, temporary emergency accommodation, you know, because there isn't enough council housing. And then we've also heard um, a case of private landlords actually evicting their tenants in order to house tenants under a temporary accommodation because they can make more money from housing people in emergency housing as opposed to just through an, a usual private tenancy. So that's kind of like some of the ways in which people move through 10 years and how they have knock-on effects, you know, on the on the others as well.
0: What would you say about the the composition of like landlords in this country? Because, I mean, I've got a statistic here, which is that there's one and a half million private landlords in the UK, 70% of whom only let out one flat or house. So clearly there's a dimension there. How, how have we come to a position where to view sort of homes as property and profit opportunities has become so established here when, you know, To go back to what we said at the beginning, perhaps that hasn't happened in other European countries. What's brought us to that place?
1: I think you have to kind of see it embedded in kind of wider changes um, in the sense that... You know, living globally has actually become more more insecure, precarious. In the UK, um, the cost of living is rising and people's wages are going down, the pension crisis and so on. And, you know, the collapse, obviously, of the, the welfare safety net and a home has become a really important financial asset. And as you say, it's not just, you know, landlords kind of owning multiple properties and looking to make a big profit. Actually, you're absolutely right. What is kind of unique about the UK is actually there are uh, lots of small landlords who see it as their kind of nest egg for old age. Yes, so it's a housing system that's kind of also embedded about how uh, the role of housing plays in the economy as well, I think, so...
2: It's true what Katya is saying about the way in which that's not just a UK-wide process um, and it's connected to the, you know, changes across society. Housing is a kind of really fundamental human need and we see lots of fundamental human needs being eroded in different ways. Um, But I think the... It's a classic story, right? Like with the, with the introduction of the right to buy, there was a kind of step change in the way in which housing was viewed as something aspirational and as an asset to be owned rather than something which was a kind of obligatory public good that needed to be provided by the state. And from there, you've seen an introduction of of similar kind of laws and a stripping away of regulation, where in general, there is this process of, I guess, financialization of housing, where we see that the kind of wisdom now is that housing is a market. We talk about the housing market every day. Uh, and the fact that we're seeing housing as something that needs to be regulated by the market and kind of to be dictated by the kind of whims of the market is not how it's always been, uh, and the more that the market is allowed to kind of run housing and dictate where and how people are able to live and how much they pay to live, the worse and worse living conditions that we're seeing for people. So that's something which a lot of the Radical Housing networks members are trying to fight against and trying to kind of argue that actually housing is a right. That it might be part of a kind of set of social rights which people are entitled to, and that there should be mechanisms by which people can claim those rights against the state, whether that's the local authority or, or national government, and that actually the more that this kind of marketization is allowed to to come in to housing as a public good, the worse living conditions that we're seeing as a whole.
0: I think it's interesting. There's a housing crisis. We, you know, we see that phrase quite a lot, but it's clearly not a crisis for everyone. You know, in a sense, some people are benefiting, profiting hugely from it. I would like to talk about the activities that groups like Radical Housing Network, the London Renters Union are doing to change things. But perhaps before we do that, it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about what's being proposed kind of from the top down. Because recently, wasn't it in July, the government put forward some proposals to change tenants' rights a bit to give tenants a minimum three-year contract. I think that's right
2: could i just say on the what you were saying about um you know there are lots of people for whom this isn't actually a crisis but it's quite a kind of lucrative opportunity and this links to the sort of government proposals that we hear so one of the grand proposals that Theresa May put forward in the past year was to tell developers that they couldn't land bank and that they must construct housing uh, and that, you know, she was going to kind of give them a telling off that they had to produce housing and that's why there was a housing crisis in this country. And I think although obviously house building is a crucial issue and particularly outside of London, it is. London is a very instructive example in terms of looking that actually there's a huge amount of construction going on in this city. You're seeing towers upon towers of luxury flats being flung up on every corner and yet you don't see rents decreasing or house prices decreasing. And so it's yeah. really incumbent upon us when government put forward uh, plans about house building that we're asking well, who's building them, for whom, how much are they going to cost, who is going to have access to them, how are we going to ensure that the people who are in the most acute housing need have access to the homes that you're building and how is this not just going to be more surrogate bank accounts that are being flung up to to increase this Mm. sort of housing bubble and as much as, yeah, the situation in London is different from the rest of the country but I think that all across the UK that's a question that we have to be asking. It's not just building, it's building what, for whom and how.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the the housing survey as well, uh, one of the kind of highlights from that was that in the private rented sector, like over capacity or like over populated buildings, properties was quite prevalent. Whereas within owned homes, actually the number of people, I guess on average, occupying a house is much lower, mm. which suggests that when they do build a lot of these properties, they're often just lying empty. Yeah. At the same time yeah. as we you have, have this an increase of
2: ghost towers yeah. phenomenon whilst you have people sleeping rough, right? It's not yeah. the problem is not just that there aren't enough houses. Oftentimes there are loads. Mm. It's just they're empty.
1: Yeah. So it's a kind of question of distribution rather than yeah. In terms of kind of who owns the houses, who are they for, what are they being used for. Yeah, I just wanted to come back to your other point about the housing crisis. Like I think it is often talked about as if it's a natural state of affairs and not a crisis that's come about through political decisions that have been made. Many government initiatives are just exacerbating the problem, like things like help to buy um, and start homes. I mean, for help to buy, which is a support from the government in order to for first time buyers to be able to buy a home, um, and essentially that's just propping up high house prices, and it's just kind of like it's just enabling the problem to continue. We need to decommodify housing and take it back from from the market because a housing policy where housing is left to the market is never going to provide the homes that we need and affordable housing for people. I yeah. just
2: if I can just add in there, so the radical housing network is itself a network but is also part of another network in a very meta way. We're part of something called the European Coalition on the Right to Housing in the City, which is a coalition of many groups across Europe who are fighting for housing justice uh, in various different situations in you know from Ireland Spain Romania Italy um and there is actually a campaign across the coalition which is focused on financialization but so I just think it's interesting to see the way in which this is not just um a London or a British phenomenon at all and that actually it was kind of in a meeting of activists from all across Europe where they looked at the kind of the individual and specific situations in which they were and what linked them to one another. And they found this kind of concept of financialization of something that could, could be articulated in all of their localities and could also kind of bring them together uh, to have a united campaign. So again, when we're thinking about this happening in terms of kind mm. of wider, broader processes, uh, financialization is something which at the very least speaks to housing activists mm. across Europe.
1: And in some ways, like I think that that kind of understanding of financialisations and big private equity firms and their role in the housing market, in, in some ways, I think that's kind of really, um, in a country like Spain, where you had the mortgage crisis and, and many people's homes were repossessed, possessed and there's been a grassroots movement in response to that. I think that has kind of brought home all of those links in a way that maybe hasn't, like there's a a housing crisis in London but lots of people talk about that. But I think sometimes the links aren't made between um, the forces that have created the housing crisis and what can change it. And it is a question of policy but it's also the role that housing plays in the economy as well.
2: The bubble that housing provides, at the very least in London, and the fact that, you know, big fan-fed announcement after big fan-fed announcement to quote-unquote solve the crisis has actually, for large part, exacerbated it. Um, Also kind of speaks to the ludicrous and totally inflated role that housing plays in in London's economy and the British economy where it's like this crutch um, that looks like this. It's incredibly lucrative but it actually isn't working apart from for a very small number of people. And
1: there is like a visceral sense in which like like you see all these big developments popping up and like who is this housing for? It's not housing for ordinary people and I think like that actually is a crisis for most people in the sense that most people don't have access to affordable housing in London and decent, good, secure, affordable housing. I think the inequality of the city is really like brought home through housing. Like, I mean, you can see it in a very obvious sense. and You live it in a day to day. It is day. actually,
2: it's kind of like quite bizarre that it's true that if you walk through your local area and you see a new block of flats being built, most people's immediate reaction is to get nervous about where they're going to live when they see new homes being created yeah. because they fear that those new homes will drive up prices, it will drive up their rent, mm. they may get a bit, like... What a counterintuitive reaction to have to the building of new homes, but that's the way that it is set up at the moment.
1: I should say actually as I'm, I'm living in Deptford at the moment in Lewisham and there's actually like a big campaign that's going on at the moment against a regeneration project in Deptford which entails the kind of demolition of a block of council housing and also a community garden and it's happening right in the centre of Deptford and actually um, there's a protest tomorrow a reclaimed Deptford carnival that's taking place that's a kind of anti-regeneration campaign which has similarities and echoes of you know many other kind of regeneration projects in London that have happened without the consent of the local community. So London Renters Union is standing up two landlords, standing up four renters and you know, obviously, renters in London are kind of very isolated in the sense that, you know, you have a relationship with your landlord. That's a kind of individual relationship. For all the reasons we've talked about, renting renting is difficult and precarious. But a union, actually, that can bring together renters as one force can ultimately transform the housing system. And actually, as I mean, as you were saying earlier, the numbers of renters in London are going up massively. So we're looking at a situation where, you know, the majority of people in London will, will soon be renters, you know, Ultimately, we want to transform the housing system, but it's also about supporting each other and taking action in the here and now. So this morning, one of our members was facing eviction, actually, through a Section 21 notice. He'd been living in his home for 11 years and had been working and paying his rent all that time. And then he recently became ill and made an application for housing benefit, which has taken a bit of time to come through. And the landlord issued a Section 21 notice So members of the union kind of um, got together to kind of prepare an eviction resistance and it was a really inspiring, brilliant morning because, you know, we put a call out very late last night. People came from across London, from other groups and made their way to Ealing to stand outside this man's home and tell the bailiffs to, yeah... (laughs) to do one um so yeah that's the kind of thing we've been doing but we've been actually building in Newham since January 2018 so that's that's been about doing street stalls doing door knocking talking to people in Newham about their housing situation about their housing issues beginning to kind of build a branch in Newham and now actually we've been organizing in Newham it's for nine months now and we have a really strong branch we have lots of members who've received support through the union. What's crucial is that we're we're aiming to kind of embed a culture within the network that is around supporting each other, um, valuing each other. We're actually people who might be the most marginalised and excluded renters, um, that that's a space that is for them and that is led by them. Um, We've got branches now in Lewisham and Hackney as well. And we're open for membership across London to all renters and all those, I would also say, like excluded from private rental housing as well. But no landlords.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The, The union is presumably trying to work towards a more just, equitable system, sort of writ large. But what would you hope to achieve, I suppose, in the medium term?
1: We're supporting campaigns that are happening um, now like the End Search in 21 campaign. It's about also kind of getting involved in, in local campaigns. We've had our first member forum a month or so ago to kind of talk about the issues that we wanted to campaign on, to agree the demands that we were making as a union. We want uh, good quality public housing for everyone. We want to end discrimination in private rental housing. We want no borders in housing. Some of those are very big transformative demands, but we also want to take action in the here and now to defend evictions, to tackle disrepair, and supporting people essentially to claim their rights and to know that we actually acting together, that we have power to actually sort of shift the balance of power between renters and landlords.
0: The Radical Housing Network... Differs perhaps slightly in its goals, orientation to the. Yeah, to the new. so
1: the Radical Housing Network
2: predates the London Renters Union. So we've been around for it's maybe five years now. And the network was set up because there was an occupation um, in South London five years ago where lots and lots of kind of there was a huge amount of activity around housing in London and lots of housing groups, kind of local groups and different campaigns who were focusing on different things came together in this space and they thought about what would actually be useful for all of them to be kind of greater than the sum of their parts. Uh, And the idea of a network was born from there. It's a kind of... I guess informal network in a way of groups can come um, and ask to join, and when they're part of the network, they kind of participate both in the network's running and also it's entirely kind of member-led. So, the campaigns or events or ideas that members have and want to pitch in to do are the things that we end up doing. The fact that we are a cross tenure network is also kind of crucial in the sense that we're we're looking at things not just within kind of private renting, but across the whole kind of scope of housing. And that, you know, one thing that we used to do every year was to go to MIPIM, which is a property fair where you get loads, particularly councils selling off their housing to developers. So it's where they all meet up and make loads of deals. Um, And RHN, the first year that MIPIM came to London, uh, shut down the entire fair. Uh, And then the following two times also were not as disruptive because they beefed up security, but were still kind of disruptive. Um, And that was kind of looking at, you know, we saw the way in which MIPIN was actually really deeply impacting many, many members of our network. And there are also kind of the ability for members within the network who have common issues and want to work together to get together. So you can, we have several estate campaigns in the network. So estates who are facing either demolition in a lot of cases or sometimes kind of really aggressive and awful refurbishment. You know, the network is a place for them to come together, to talk, to see the ways in which uh, they could support one another. And so the out of the network have also grown... Campaigns focused on things like estate demolition and campaigns focused on people not being allowed to move around in London. One of our members uh, it's the NBTA, the National Bargee and Travellers Association. So they are people that live on waterways. Looking at the way in which their movement is being restricted and the kind of facilities that they have access to on moorings and the price of moorings, uh, the facilities are shrinking and the price of moorings are going up and up and the way in which the kind of the way that they have been living in London is being diminished. So yeah, there's a sort of, I guess, a wider scope. But we work with the London Renters' Union. Some of the initial ideas for the union were workshopped within the network, which is another thing that we provide in terms of Allowing a space for working groups to workshop different campaign ideas, um, whether that's like the renters union or rent strikes or, you know, particular actions, eviction resistance tactics. The network is really a space where people can come together and do that. Mm.
1: The London Renters' Union, as Becca says, came from groups and members of the Radical Housing Network. There are also a number of other groups, including Generation Rent, including Peach, including Advice for Renters, DIGS, which is a private renters group, New Economics Foundation and Migrants' Rights Network um, have also kind of been involved in an advisory capacity around the setting up of the London Renters' Union. I mean, where the renters' union kind of fits into that is, you know, there's been kind of estate campaigns and, you know, and social tenants historically have been organised in a sense that there's been organisations bringing together social tenants, but private renters historically have been much less organised. There's been local private renters' groups, um, but something like a renters' union in London on this kind of scale has never been done before.
0: It's interesting, um, having heard you talk a little bit about social housing, the canal barges as well. And I think you mentioned co-ops as well at the beginning, Mm. how all of these things which you might see as alternatives to private renting are all being squeezed as well, uh, you know, either being sold off or the space for those alternatives being reduced. So I was wondering, I mean, this is perhaps a little bit beyond the kind of immediate problems of, say, resisting an eviction. But what are the kind of more equitable housing options that either exist now and could be scaled up or what would need to be created on a large scale, to allow people to live and not have to face the fear or the threat of eviction mm.
1: uh, what I think we need is essentially we need to build council housing and we need decent public housing that 's publicly funded that 's available to everyone, which is obviously a, a pretty significant shift compared to where we currently are. There are initiatives like um, community led housing I know that 's been growing growing fast there 's lots of interest in that um, and then there 's the cooperative movement. I think these initiatives are great in the sense that they kind of give a, a sort of a vision of how things might be different. But I think in terms of actually what we need that can benefit everybody, I think we need kind of a massive shift in direction. And I think that we're only going to achieve that ultimately through action from below. Renters actually in London do have an enormous amount of potential political power through organising. So that's what we need in order to make make the shift and make the changes that we need. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think I, I agree on the council housing question and I think that that's again, brings us back to how all of these things are connected and, yes, they're all being they're all being squeezed, council housing in particular, but it's true also kind of boaters and it's true also that housing co-ops are under increasing pressure. Um, I think if we had mass council house building, I mean, you know, it used to be in this country that you would have like a fifth of the population lived in council housing at one point post-war. You had people from all walks of life living in council housing with lifetime council tenancies. And then now it's council estates in particular have turned into this, where well, they often kind of get this terrible press about being these, you know, sink estates, which are full of social problems and we have to get rid of them and that's how we're going to better society. Um, but I think we we have to look at the way in which council housing was initially supposed to function that also the kind of quality of building of you know original council estates and the way in which they were supposed to be maintained and weren't maintained for you know mm. going on 30 35 years that now
1: managed to climb, yeah yeah
2: not invested in it at- you know so then you, you can turn around and say oh well look this estate is totally falling apart but that's because no money has been poured into it for decades so I think yes, we need
1: and, and and actually the 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 sense in which kind of council tenants themselves have been blamed for the condition of yeah. the estates and all of the kind of um the, and sort the of social stigma, problems with the stigma it, given yeah.
2: Towards, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That some is some kind of a tra- you know attracts crime. Exactly, it's not cared for, and that that's the responsibility of the tenants. When you know, as we've seen in multiple examples, including at Grenfell Tower, the way in which actually people who are supposed to be looking after these estates aren't doing it at all. So I think, yes, mass council house building, which actually also makes total sense. You know, for the public purse, it makes total sense. Council housing pays for itself. Um, And if the borrowing caps on local authorities were lifted and all local authorities were encouraged to do mass council house building, I think we would see a totally transformed landscape of housing in London. Um, There are other things alongside that. I mean, I think community-led housing, there's lots of examples. Co-ops for London, who are one of our members, but there's also... which is an initiative in Tottenham, which uh, is aiming to turn land, which was part of the uh, St Anne's Hospital, into uh, community-owned and community-led housing. The mayor of London has actually bought the site and is working with them on a kind of plan to see how that could be developed. And so there are kind of really great examples and I think that those too should be encouraged and funded and funded publicly to see the way in which then you have tenants looking after and managing their own housing and making decisions about the places in which they live with some semblance of control over their lives, which is what's totally been lost for most people who are trying to kind of scrape together enough cash to live in London. And, you know, whilst the private rental sector is ballooning and you have so many people moving into it, in the immediate term, as with the German example, you know, renting doesn't have to be as atrocious as it is in this city at all. Uh, And there are very kind of simple measures that can be brought in immediately. You know, the abolition of Section 21, much longer term tenancies, rent control obligations on landlords to complete repairs uh, in short periods of time. All of these kind of things can improve the kind of immediate situation that private tenants find themselves in.
1: You know, obviously, like housing has risen rapidly up the political agenda in recent years. And it is, I think, the sort of prospect of significant shifts, like an an, an end Section 21. You know, there's a Homes for Fitness for Human Habitation bill. that's a private members bill that's been put forward by Carr and Buck there's lots of proposals on the table so far like i think the proposals on the table have been very piecemeal and limited i think the prospect of some form of regulation in the private rented sector is very much on the cards there's many people in private renting and i think we want to build a movement where actually renters stand in solidarity with each other that it isn't just about kind of appeasing kind of one section of renters who might stand to benefit from from some of the changes that are brought in It's about building a movement that can actually push for kind of more meaningful and like transformational change. Mm.
2: Mm. Like lead tables for social landlords was the latest one. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that works so well for schools, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) So obviously building a movement is going to be crucial. How can people, particularly based in London, get involved in doing that in either the London Renters Union or in the Radical Housing Network?
1: London Renters' Union is very much open for membership. Any renter in London can can join the union. And there is likely to be a branch near you coming very soon if you're not already living somewhere where there is a branch. And I would say, like, join the union, get involved, um, help build the union. It's actually, it's really, really fun and exciting at the moment to be part of this kind of growing renters' movement in London. You know, I would say that anyone who isn't a renter can show solidarity with the Renters' Union, But I think it's also about building links with, you know, other groups. We've got strong links, for example, with um, United Voices Against the World and with IWGB. Um, Yeah, and I'm just like, it was really brilliant this morning, um, an eviction in Ealing, where we kind of put a call out at about 10pm the night before and to get kind of a load of people from different groups who'd made their way up to resist an eviction, which is a really small example. But I think, you know, that that's about the kind of movement that we want to build.
2: Uh, For the Radical Housing Network, if you want to get involved in in the kind of management of the network itself, or if you have ideas for it, then you um, can come to our monthly meetings. Um, If you go to our Facebook page, which is just Radical Housing Network on Facebook, we always put up a Facebook event of our next meeting, um, which is on the second Monday of the month. If you're somebody of any, you know, in any tenure, any housing situation, who is in any kind of housing stress, or you're worried about your housing situation, if you go onto our website, which is radicalhousingnetwork.org, you can see in pink along the right-hand side of the website we have a list of all of our members, um, and that includes some of the groups that I've mentioned. So people who live in co-ops, there are local groups who help people, particularly in temporary accommodation, um, in emergency accommodation, particularly in East and South London. There are groups for boaters, etc., etc. Uh, if you can't find a local group then you can set one up and all that takes is like you and a couple of other people who live who are living in a similar same situation as you to get together want to do something about your housing situation and if you contact us or any of our members and you know loads of other people from across the housing movement or as Katia says from across you know different social movements and you say We've got this group, this is our living situation, we want to do something about it. There is so much knowledge, skills, creative ideas, tactics, support, solidarity that uh, that is available. And we see, yes, there's a huge amount still to be won, but there are victories that are being won every day. I mean, Katia's talked about the eviction resistance this morning. We've also seen, you know, for example, from rent strikes that students held at UCL, they won £1.2 million worth of concessions from going on rent strike. So there are many, many victories that are being won and there are many more to be won. And if you want to get involved in trying to change your housing situation, you can do so.
1: If you're renting in London and you have a housing issue, if you have a problem with your landlord, if you're facing eviction, if you're facing disrepair issues or any other issue, you're not alone. Get in touch with the union. We have a really strong member support group and we will work together to take action around your housing situation and working collectively we we can find solutions to the housing problems that we all face.
0: And uh, for anyone going to the World Transformed in Liverpool later this month, I think London Renters Unions going to be there.
1: Yeah, Is we're we're right? do, we doing um, a workshop called Rent Quake, and we're co-hosting the workshop with Acorn and Greater Manchester Housing Action and Generation Rent. So check that out if you're down there.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Oh, well, thanks to you both very much for coming on. I think it's been really interesting. Um, And there's lots of ways to get involved, clearly. So that's great. Uh, Just going to end the show on a slightly different note. Um, Right to Remain, who came on the show earlier in the year to talk about the work that they're doing to try and end immigration detention in the UK. They are currently recruiting an organiser for their These Walls Must Fall campaign uh, based in the South and West Yorkshire region. Um, The organiser will build local campaigns to challenge the use of immigration detention in the UK, So if you're based in Leeds or Sheffield and you want to apply for the position, uh, the deadline is, I think, the 30th of September. And you can find out more on their website, which is righttoremain.org.uk forward slash work. You've been listening to Radicals in Conversation and we'll be back next month.